You're listening to What It's Like with Luce, a podcast highlighting ordinary people doing extraordinary things. I'm your host, Lucy Norris, and this week I chat to founder of Applaud.Live and Tune Release. A former freelance violinist, this young entrepreneur has already been listed in the Sunday Business Post's 100 Hot Startups and shows no sign of slowing down anytime soon. From winning Trinity College's Dragon's Den to placing third at the National Startup Awards last year, join me as I find out what it's really like to be Luke Ryan Cullen. Welcome, Luke. Um, I think we'll just start today. I know you have a really big background in music, um, and that kind of feeds nicely into what we're going to talk about a bit later on. Um, So maybe if you want to start by just kind of telling us a little bit about your background in music, um, maybe do you have a memory of when you first picked up an instrument? Yeah, um, so I started when I was about four. Um, in one of my pitch decks, actually, there's a picture of myself, my little brother and uh, my cousin, and we're all gathered around playing a violin. So I kind of followed the footsteps of uh, my older cousins in terms of all picking up violin, um, some of them playing cello and stuff like that. Um, I got sent into lessons in uh, DIT, conservative music, um, from the get-go when I was only a little nipper. Um, I was doing music instrumental classes um, twice a week sometimes, then theory on the weekends, and then got straight into orchestras, and that sort of brought the community aspect of music um, to the fore, where I was starting to make friendships, um, which helped me develop as a, a little youngster as well, uh, get some social skills <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> uh, I suppose the first orchestras would have been Dublin Youth Orchestra, um, the DIT uh, Junior Orchestra, and then onto the National Youth Orchestra, um, which was difficult to get in. Um, when you got in, you're blown away by the talent of some of the players there. Uh, it was a bit intimidating, but the great thing about it was it was run over the summer and the winter. So you're in uh, in like a sort of band camp um, of musicians and uh, you just get to know everyone really well. Um, everyone's really supportive and uh, you learn so much just from each other. And then so... Oh, you obviously went through school and all that kind of thing, keeping your music always as, I guess, your primary extra activity. Um, and then you went to Trinity College, yeah. where I saw you managed the orchestra there as well. Yeah, so that, that was quite fun and challenging. Um, so I did English literature and history in college just because I wanted to diversify a little bit. Um, and I, I liked creative writing a lot. Um, so what I did was to keep up the music, I joined the orchestra. Um, so for the first year, just really enjoyed it. We had a trip abroad. Um, I believe it was Lisbon. Uh, it could have been Budapest, though. Uh, every year we go away and worked my way up in terms of as the players coordinator for a while, managing sort of the, the outside bookings, which would have been weddings, uh, corporate events, and um, just a little bit of admin in terms of orchestra uh, management. And then I, in my final year of college, I became the president of Trinity Orchestra, or auditor as they called it, but it, that sounds too much like a tax kind of... <laughs> Uh, person and it doesn't there's no need for that in the orchestra um so there i was overseeing about 110 ish players on a regular basis um attendance and membership fluctuated throughout the year but what was difficult at the time was um we had very limited funds in the account so i couldn't really spoil anyone or uh, enjoy the year as much as i wanted to um so what i set out to do really was increase the number of bookings we were doing and what I often found as well was we were undercharging a little bit. And that's fair enough because we're students. The main thing we wanted was tickets to festivals. Yeah, yeah. Um, 100%. Um, so we were underselling ourselves a little bit. Um, sometimes our, 
our rates wouldn't even cover the van hire, for example. So we really required um, sometimes a bit of funding from the, the college itself. Uh, but I wanted us to be a little bit independent because there's bigger societies that get huge corporate sponsorship and they're able to do so much throughout the year. So what we ended up doing was we got um, the summer party for Dropbox, which was really fun. And they had a Jurassic Park themed. Um, so they wanted us to play all the anthem music. Um, what what else did we do? We played Indiana Jones as well, just because it's kind of in, in tune with the rest. And then there's free food and drinks after. Then we also did a Dundrum Shopping Centre Shop and Rock event. Um, so that was cool. What orchestra plays in the shopping centre? I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, different. Yeah. And then we got back into the festival. So we found sometimes the likes of Electric Picnic was hard to get. Um, and we managed to get onto the Heineken stage. Um, and then we were doing Forbidden Fruit all together now in Metropolis. So it was really crazy the amount of stuff we were trying to fill into one year. Uh, it put a lot of stress on the, the management team. Yeah, I'd say. Um, Alongside your degree as well. Like yeah. You have oh, to manage all this. That year was crazy because I was setting up a plot at the time. Um, and then I was the live music officer for Trinity Entertainment as well. Mm-hmm. So I'd battle the bands to contend with. So I had about four different kind of heavy hitting jobs to, to manage. And I kind of put college on the back burner because I knew I wasn't going to go down that route. Yeah. Uh, but I wanted to keep my head above water and I didn't want to fail or drop out or anything because mm-hmm. it's nice to have a plan B. <laughs> So you're doing all of that work for the orchestra and um, the other society and you're kind of, I guess, without knowing it, building up a load of skills that you're eventually then going to put into Applaud.live, which is your your um, business that you're running now. Um, so how, how did you kind of come about thinking, okay, I'm going to make this easier for all of us and set up Applaud? Like, was there a moment where you came to it or... Um, so myself and my dad have long car rides up to his house in uh, Mullah County Gavin um, so on the journey we'd always be brainstorming about different things and talking about uh, you know the struggles of day to day life and uh, one of the biggest struggles was trying to find the orchestra bookings and even trying to find bookings for myself as a freelance violinist um, he came up with the idea or the name Applaud um, and I, I had the bare bones of an idea in terms of shouldn't it be as simple as Airbnb in terms of booking a musician, if I need a wedding band, I want to be able to see the videos of them playing, see that they're available on the date, and just book. Uh, that should be so easy, but instead, bookings take weeks to finalise. There's so many different variables involved. And um, quotes range from y- your grassroots bands at about 400 to your professional wedding bands at about four grand. So it's a bit of a minefield for someone who's not in the, in the know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think a platform would make that easier to navigate. Yeah, of course. So, so you come up with the idea with your dad in the car, yeah. and then I guess you go back to university, back into your day to day of craziness. Yeah. How how did you put, how did you bring the idea to life? Um. So the college was really great in terms of the support services they provide. So we had the launch box. Um, no, it was the launch pad sprints. Uh, which is run in association with the Blackstone Group. Um, and they provide sort of a little sprint of about four weeks teaching you the pillars of entrepreneurship. So I was literally going through the library one day, saw a leaflet, and I think the closing date was probably within a couple of days, as as always is the case with yeah. life. <laughs> and uh, put my name in the hat, managed to get it. Did the four-week stint, learned a lot about legals, uh, finding co-founders, and that kind of stuff, and realized the name Applaud, the, the original idea was an app, uh, because apps were the rage um, in that time. But I suppose 
I got great advice straight off saying, why not build a website or web app as they call it, um, just to make things much easier, allow desktop users and mobile phone users to access the site uh, instead of just cutting out half your target market in one go. Yeah. Um, so that, that set me on the right path. Uh, I won that uh, little sprint competition, uh, 300 quid was a nice little prize. Yeah. So for that, did you just have to submit an idea on paper? Did you have to actually build a prototype? I just submitted an idea. Um, and what I did do was I got a lot of advice from people who are slightly technical. Um, big shout out to Michaela, who pointed me towards Squarespace. Okay. Um, this is do not endorsed. Like <laughs> <laughs> it's not a promotion. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have a background in, in tech? No, not at all. A yeah. uh, non-tech founder here, and which is usually the case. So a lot of ideators and creatives are non-technical. Um, but what I have done is I've gone back and gone on Code Academy and taught myself a bit of front end, just so I know what I'm talking about and I'm able to manage dev teams a bit more better. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, so uh, built the MVP, which is the minimum viable product, the prototype on Squarespace. Um, essentially, the way I, I could phrase it was I tested the market for less than 200 quid, which is nice. Um, and it's a more pragmatic way of going about it than what I wanted to do, which was build an app Oh, realized oh, I probably need 20 grand to outsource it. Yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? When yeah. you come up with an idea, the money. Like, we're students. Uh, we, we, <laughs> <laughs> we can't afford big outsourcing. We don't have big exits behind us or um, rich parents or anything like that. So, um, Squarespace was great. That led me on to the Trinity Entrepreneurial Society's Dragon's Den competition. Mm -hmm. uh, I was a bit late applying, but they were really, really sound in terms of uh, allowing me to pitch. Um, I pitched that. Um, with a team of three developers, Connor, Brian, and Gordon. Uh, and they were a brilliant help. They were all computer science and computer science and business students. How did you find them? Was it just kind of through conversation? or? Yeah, so um, I asked a friend of mine, and she uh, actually brought me into a room with four of her course mates. And essentially, all of them were brilliant prospects in terms of joining the team. But Connor was the one, and it's a great tip for everyone out there. Connor was the one that emailed me after or messaged me afterwards and was like, I really like the idea. I want to be on board. Okay. And it's that little nudge and, and, and sort of a sign of uh, initiative mm -hmm. that uh, made me go, ah, well, he's the one. Um, rather than taking a step back and letting fate decide, grab it by the, the hand and go for it, you know. Yeah. Um, so they, uh, and then um, Brian and Gordon, I found through a Launchbox um, co Find Your Co-Founder event. So what that did was it had non-technical founders with ideas and opposite that it had people that were in technical courses that could execute on ideas, mainly engineers and computer science students. And um, they seemed up for it. Um, and there was a program during the summer called Launchbox that gave us the bones of 350 euro a week for 12 weeks each um, to work on this idea. So essentially we were research assistants for the college working on our own startup. Um, again, another phenomenal um, support that they provided. Um, but the Test Dragons Den was held earlier in the year and we pitched as a team and uh, we won that and got about 7,500 in expense-based funding. W what we did was we put a lot of it into marketing, failed a lot, learned a lot, uh, realized Facebook ads and Google ads aren't always the way to go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and then Launchbox, we built uh, an earlier version of Applaud, a bit more automated. Um, none of us had built um, a scalable platform before or anything like an Airbnb. So it wasn't a finished product and we never really got to launch it. Um, and then I was in final year college, so it kind of had to go on the back burner a little bit. So I kept the Squarespace website alive. And then um, 
ran for ENS officer, entertainment officer of the overall university. Um, Just to add something else to your Yeah, brain. why not? <laughs> so I had a campaign to run as well oh <laughs> in final God. year. And uh, there, uh, Jericho was running against me. And it turns out he, he was doing a master's in computer science. He'd worked on about three different startups and a cloud software company. So immediately I was there going, wow, he's got the skills to, to build a platform. And um, despite running against each other and the confrontational nature of that, we actually got along really well. We both lost and we joined uh, forces and created what you see today, which is Applaud.Live. So when you're, you were pitching this idea for all the little different competitions and things like that, did you have artists already signed up or how did that process start where you started reaching out to people to want to be a part of your vision? Yeah, so in January, we uh, I had the Squarespace website up and I saw a lot of Facebook pages of artists on Facebook. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and essentially, I just sent them kind of a scripted uh, cold message, um, literally saying who I am, what I'm doing. Student startup gets you away with a lot and they know it's not going to be a polished product and you're just asking them for help in terms of learning and a lot of them is very receptive they got on board so we got about 50 musicians within the first couple of weeks um, and i was manually creating the profiles so i learned a lot about writing biographies um, what experience musicians need to have to get a booking and what kind of content a lot of them had and didn't have and the fact that i spotted a lot of musicians without video and audio content surprised me because um, they're certainly not going to get a booking unless they have uh, quality assurance content. Well, yeah, I guess you kind of want to see what you're getting before you essentially buy it. Yeah, so what we looked to do was uh, partner with a lot of recording studios and um, we, we trialed it a little bit. Uh, it worked out okay. Um, priced at about 250 to 500 per video. Um, and they're really high quality videos. Um, but we found a lot of musicians don't have the, the money behind them. Um, so that was the struggle with the business model. Do you charge musicians? Do you charge event organizers? How do you do it? And I want to be able to sleep at night. Yeah. So <laughs> I hate overcharging or not providing a service uh, as it's meant to be. Um, so the likes, we tried out a subscription with the new platform. And um, the thing is, is there a return on investment every week? You're not getting bookings every week, but your subscription could be covered by one booking in the year. Mm. But still to a user, that's not great. Um, so I think what we've done now is we've pivoted back to the Airbnb kind of model, adding on a service fee. So the event organizer pays that. Okay. Um, so you have some people interested artist-wise. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, you're going through the motions still in college, trying to keep this afloat as well as all of your other things that you've got going on. And then I read somewhere you kind of started to, it's not bringing in investors, but you started chatting to people yeah, okay. in the industry to give you a bit of help. Can you chat to me a little bit about that? So Enterprise Ireland run um, a program called New Frontiers, and that's run in most of the major colleges. And what we did there was we pitched, got in, and they provided us with a mentor. And one of the mentors was uh, Richard Tierney, who uh, formerly worked at Live Nation and Aiken Promotions. Uh, he provided a good bit of grounding in terms of um, business strategy, uh, branding. Um, he was really pushing for a lovely logo. We, I think we finally got there um, and stuff like that. Uh, but he, he was really speaking about the big players out there. there there's the Live Nation, the MCD, um, Aiken Promotions. There's all these big, big companies and you don't want to be a competitor of them. You want to be a helping hand. 
or a facilitator for making life easy for them. I think that's quite interesting you say that because I feel like there's potentially a misconception of people entering a new industry to mm. automatically want to be a competitor rather yeah. than think of it that way, whereas you'll, it's, you'll probably find it easier to yeah. eventually be on the level to, to compete if you go with them instead of against them in the beginning. Yeah, 100%. So like if you look at Airbnb, they've gone back to hotels. There's a lot of hotels on the platform now, uh, advertising rooms, which is something you wouldn't expect. Um, at all um sometimes you really do need to speak to those that have been doing it for 20 to 40 years they've learned a lot more than anyone does starting out you know um so it was great to tap into them resources just go ahead and ask for a coffee um if you meet up with anyone so the lads in body tonic met up with me um quite a bit uh learned a lot about their processes so essentially what you want to to do is bring your notebook write out their day-to-day operations uh, how do they find artists? How do they book them? How do they pay them? And then already you have so much data on terms of what they're used to that if you build a product that neatly fits into that workflow, you've got a good start and you're not pitching something that is going to take a lot of convincing and education for them to use. Because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, educating a user is a nerd of battle altogether. <laughs> so you don't want to be doing that. And where are you at now with the whole thing? So we're starting to see signs that users like the product. Um, it's still an open beta. It's not a fully finished product. Um, I say we've another two sprints to go. And by sprint, it'd be about four weeks of development per, per feature. And once we have the two sprints finished, um, we should be good to go for a, a lovely big official launch party. Oh, that's the fun yeah. part, isn't it? <laughs> and then we've, uh, we're sort of talking to a couple of UK PR companies um, because a, a lot of the time... Um, it's it's almost a fake it till you make it kind of thing. Uh, one of the PR companies has a roster, inclu- including the likes of Elton John, Paul McCartney, Sean Mendes. Oh. And they're really excited about it, but obviously, how much is it going to cost? Yeah. And is there a return on investment? So there's a lot of dreamy entrepreneurs that are going, oh, yeah, that's a brilliant opportunity. Let's put 10 grand on that. No, you're not going to make it back because a lot of it's just vanity metrics. Uh, how many people are seeing the posts? Mm-hmm. But are any of them converting into paying customers or... Is it actually growing your business at all? Um, some of the best businesses are done behind closed doors and no one even knows their success, you know? Yeah. And then potentially getting some brand ambassadors with massive followings on board. Because what we don't want happening is to be stuck in a niche of grassroots artists. We want to be able to provide an end-to-end workflow and management system for artists, even all the way up to the likes of Hosier. You know, and if we can do that, then we've done a brilliant job. Um, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, well, it sounds great at the moment. Um, so what would you say, I know you've touched on it a little bit just there, but the ultimate end goal for you as founder and CEO, what what would you like to see this product do? Yeah, I'd love to be able to see independent musicians essentially not have to find managers, not have to sign a deal that gives away 20 to 60% of their income to um, just the people with the contacts book. Ideally, we want a level playing field where if you're a musician, you've got good music, you're building up a steady following, you're able to apply to an event and get the booking. Likewise, if you're releasing music, you're able to get it out to the distributors, you're able to get it into the media, and everything's there, an open playing field. Um, there's no big barriers to entry. So from what I'm hearing, this just seems, I know it wasn't at all, but it just seems so effortless for you to have gone from from A to B though. And I'm just so, I'm wondering kind of from a personal level, 
what it was like for you over the years going from freelance violinist like the person you're trying to provide the service for to essentially entrepreneur behind the scenes trying to run the whole organization what was that like that process it is difficult like i think anyone who says it's really easy um they're probably doing the fake it till you make it kind of thing mm-hmm. it's a very hard path to go down in terms of you've no one telling you you're nine to five and and that's a big wake-up call when you finish college um how are you planning your day-to-day um what are the steps you need to do no one's guiding you and um, so that's why it's really important i think to find someone who may be 18 months ahead of you maybe a couple of years ahead of you and, and they can say look we failed here here and here but if you do these steps you'll probably uh, skip a, a couple of months of stress um i suppose the most difficult stuff i came across would have been in college it's fine it's just juggling priorities and college work but um as you get more developed and you leave college you start having payroll to pay um it is quite stressful even for myself um i have no wage coming in um we're bootstrapping that that would be the the right term for it so uh it's tricky but it makes you focus and prioritize better have you guys ever looked into crowdfunding or anything like that we're tempted um it's such a weird one because i i don't know if it, it gives the impression that we're desperate for funding when I'd like to be able to work and build a product that um, both is a viable business and doesn't need outside help really um, for it to grow. Um, but it would be a possible avenue. But the thing it, with crowdfunding is, and it's something that's not spoken about a lot, 60% of that funding is secured before the campaign launches. Okay. And that's recommended across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're launching a crowdfund campaign for 300 grand, you'll need to have upwards of 200 grand already there for that to even be a remote success. Okay, so it's not just as straightforward as people think, you know, set up this page and money comes flying in. So when you go to to pitch and things, I guess I'm just wondering about the team that you have around you. So important. Um, So... The thing is, if you have a successful exit behind you, you've sold a business before, your credibility goes through the roof. Um, you've done it before. They know that their investment is just to accelerate your growth and that you're, they're, the investment's in very capable hands. But if you're a first-time founder, it's difficult. Um, I suppose one of the big exceptions to the rule will be um, Evervault, who raised 3.2 million there recently um, from Sequoia. And I presume the American VC system looks at the market size um, sees the route to market a bit better than um, a smaller economy and ecosystem than Ireland and they're able to take a punt but 3.2 million is a massive punt um, <laughs> massive punt so um, that that's brilliant that you can go out find funding out there and uh, pursue your idea it's it's just difficult you, you really have to show that there's a return on investment um, that you've built a credible team so my team's all very young um none of us have built successful companies and sold them on before um so this kind of applaud is essentially my first uh go at it really uh my first chance to see if this product goes to market um if it does well if it scales um and if i have the metrics to back it up um so i suppose if you look at the ecosystem at the moment spotify have been building a platform called spotify for artists and this is essentially empowering musicians to um really 
take charge of their own production. So what they did recently was they bought Soundbetter, which is a similar marketplace to Applaud, but you can book a singer to sing on your track, or you can book a producer to make a beat for you, or book an engineer to do your podcast almost, you know. Um, so they bought that with the with the goal of essentially making it easier to find talent so that artists are producing more content, more songs. Uh, and that really helps Spotify's bottom line. But what's happening with Spotify is artists aren't getting any payouts. They're getting very small payouts, uh, like a few cents per thousand streams. Um, so what needs what what they're looking at there is if they're building a platform where you can be booked for your for your skill set. So you're a brilliant guitarist. If you can get a couple of hundred quid to play guitar on someone's track, you're making money back. And that's something Spotify hasn't been able to achieve at the moment and is looking to achieve in other ways. So you seem very much on the road to success with Applaud. That seems to all be going very well. And you also have tune release. Yeah, tune release. That was a fun one. Um, so I had a day off, and this goes to show if you've done it before, it's a hundred times easier. So make all the mistakes, please do. <laughs> Learn from them. And uh, second time around, it's a doddle. So tune release, um, there's a brilliant content management system called Webflow. Uh, it's like a juiced up version of Squarespace. So took no technical knowledge. I was able to build a website in a couple of hours. And then I reached out to uh, a couple of music journalists I knew uh, who are really active in the scene. And within 24 hours, I had a team of six uh, and a, a launched it's website. <laughs> but it's hilarious in terms of that would have taken me months first time around. Months. And it would have been a lot of hard work. And I would have been so anxious about emailing these guys and how do I get them on board. Whereas it was a simple probably two, three line email saying, building this, have a look at it. Do you want to, are you up for joining? Because at the end of the day, it's another person, you know, it's a down to air person who also wants to succeed and um, might see the value in the idea and sees a bit of return investment for them too. Um, so Tune Release is doing a similar thing to what Applaud is in bookings. So Applaud's leveling the playing field for bookings. What Tune Release is doing is it's equipping uh, musicians with a, a, a way to distribute their music to media outlets. That could be radio, publications, stuff like that. So what we can do there is we can, instead of media uh, people being worried about getting a call off some random musician saying, oh, hey, uh, have you got my email about my song? Are you interested? Do you want to feature it in anything? Uh, which has happened the other week, actually, to one of our writers. Um, we're providing sort of a, a gateway for uh, musicians to pitch their music in a format that the, the publications want to, to receive it in. So you have your WAV files for the radio, your MP3 files for embedding into um, any online articles um, and all the appropriate links, um, as well as all the contextual information on their biography and what the release is about. And that way, the media outlets can um, view, pick which, which uh, releases fit the bill and add them in. And what we'd love to do is also give a, a little feedback functionality because a lot of artists are creating music and they're not getting any candid feedback. They're, they're releasing music that perhaps no one actually is listening to or isn't really getting behind and they're not realizing why uh, and i think even just a couple of options as to why the track's not a good fit will be very easy it'd be a couple of clicks and that data alone will really help musicians market themselves uh, and understand the market a bit better so it sounds like you're kind of all, all the time with with both of your platforms trying to just essentially minimize 
um, roadblocks for artists in a way and kind of the the amount of people it takes between you and your goal. So yeah. with tune release, it sounds like you're kind of bypassing the music PRs a little bit. A little bit because uh, I suppose some companies are charging about three grand for a press release and the lower end would be about 1200. That's very expensive. Yeah. Um, now, oftentimes it's worth it. Maybe you get a, a load of press behind you and it, it helps um, increase your traction so much that it's kind of like a snowball effect. That's brilliant. But other times, um, musicians, they're not selling records anymore. Um, streams aren't given a return on investment. So that money is invested and it's gone, especially if it's not handled correctly. So if we're able to, at the moment, we're providing the PR service in terms of our um, music journalists are writing the press releases. Um, but the second stage will be to automate the distribution and musicians can skip that PR stage if they already have a press release that they'd like to launch themselves. A bit of more of an indie route. Yeah. Um, and that way, yeah, we're, s we're skipping the, oh, who has the black book full of contacts? Yeah, and contacts, I think, are the biggest roadblock in yeah. any creative industry, especially if you're just starting out. So, um, And so I guess what are your future goals for June release? Um, I suppose with tune release, um, it's it's easier in terms of the business models set. So you have a release, you pay the service fee, and your music goes to market. I'd love to get a load of client testimonials out there, uh, really build it up, and then um, I suppose grow to a point where we have a really strong but growing team of uh, writers, and we can roll out that model and license the technology um, to uh, organizations in different countries. Forgive me if I'm if it already is this way, but are you ever looking to kind of amalgamate Applaud and Tune Release together yeah. as one so, um, company? So Rosie joined the team recently and she's a phenomenal product designer and the wireframes that she sent me back without me even asking already included an integration between Applaud and Tune Release. So if you're an artist, you sign in and one of the tabs on the left of your profile will be press releases and that'll be uh, an affiliation program between Tune Release and Applaud. interesting to know as well in your opinion what was the biggest mistake you made through all of this Ooh, biggest mistake i think all mistakes are great in terms of you just learn so much um the trickiest thing with any startup i think is finding co-founders um it's really instilled on you um by investors mainly which may not always be the best narrative that you need someone else and you need, ideally you should be 50 50 with them so there should be one marketing sales kind of guy there should be uh one uh, development or engineer kind of person as well and um, if you're a student and a lot of listeners I imagine are quite young um, that's tricky because yeah. no student has a lot of experience and um, they have so much going on in their lives they don't know what they want to do and um, they may specialize in something entirely different um, and again when you graduate you need that financial stability you need a, a steady income because um, you're going solo for the first time in your life you know <laughs> Um, so um, it's tricky um, so with Launchbox we had essentially four co-founders and think of four marriages yeah. that's difficult yeah. and the thing with a co-founder agreement is you need to think of the divorce um, just in case you know and it could be totally amicable, uh, amicably the uh, parting at the end ideally you're both getting massive checks for your 50% equity each but that that's not always the case and, and sometimes someone has to bow out a bit early and they may need to get a job and they can't bootstrap any longer and that that's okay 
but I think just rushing into uh, getting co-founders on board and uh, not aligning personalities as well as goals um, as evenly um, like some people on the team um, I really just love the idea are happy to work on it will put tons of energy into it others do need that financial payment at the end of it and in a startup it's so up and down that being able to guarantee payments and uh, being able to guarantee a nine to five is tricky you may have a pitch the next day and you have to stay up till three finishing the pitch deck um, so I think yeah just make sure you align the personalities and the goals and um, there's a lot of templates online in terms of what questions to ask people you may want to get into business with um, and a question a lot of the big accelerators ask is what have you worked on together before? Okay. So can you do a mini project together outside of it? Think of something entirely different. Maybe not even tell them about your business idea and see how, how well you work together. Because anyone's brilliant for the first couple of days. They're impeccable. Oh, the sun shines out them. <laughs> but um, after a while, you see the real uh, nitty gritty of everyone. It's like when you go on holidays with like a boyfriend or girlfriend. Yeah, or honeymoon phase. Like, oh, okay. 100%, <laughs> yeah. So you need to give it a bit of time, uh, find the real person underneath the, the veil they put up for everyone and uh, see how you get along. And I guess to coincide with that question, do you have a moment that you can think of where you kind of sat back for a moment and realized, you know, I might have actually done this, like I might be making it here? Yeah, um, I suppose when we got our first big client, um, now big is relative, everything's relative, uh, but we got UCD, uh, the Freshers' Fair, and that brought in bones of five grand in revenue. And the fact that we were able to do that quite efficiently, I think once you see that the model's tried and tested, it works, um, that's when you're, you can sit back and go, oh, maybe I could do this again. Mm-hmm. And then I think just to wrap everything up, the final question I want to ask you today, if I ask this to everyone, um, if you look back at your 10-year-old self, from where you're sitting now, having achieved everything you've achieved at such a young age, I'm going to add as well, I think it's insane, um, what is the biggest piece of advice you would give your 10-year-old self? Learn to code. Yep. 100%. Oh my God, just having the ability to take charge of your own future of your own products, build what you want to build is phenomenal. Um, it'd probably be like being an engineer back in the day. Mm-hmm. Being able to code is the new way forward. It's You can build a game, you can build your own ecosystem, you can build your own platform, um, but you can solve a lot of things through code. So yeah. So learn to code. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much for coming on and chatting to me today. Thank you so much for listening and as always, please don't forget to share, comment and rate this podcast if you like what you hear. I'll be back next week chatting to more inspiring individuals, but for now, this has been What It's Like With Luce.